Had you, you ever like, heard the song, song Son of Shaft before? Son of Shaft? Son of Shaft. Remember that the Barcase thing at the very beginning? <laughs> Is that what they That's were saying? That's the name of the song. It's Son of Shaft. <laughs> Is it? Yes. I wondered because I was like, I've not heard of all the songs for the Barcase to be singing. Yeah. Son of Shaft, feel it. <laughs> Son of Shaft. Feel it. Did we talk about Sammy Davis Jr.? I feel like we've talked He's about this He's not in the film. No, but there's a... <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. has a cover of Shaft. Oh, he does. Where it's hilarious. Where you can tell somebody told him about Shaft, but he didn't actually watch Shaft. And he's sort of singing the song and not looking at the lyrics. Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the chicks? Can you dig it? Who's the cat that won't cop out when there's danger all about? Right on. Black private eye, whose mastermind has got him what he wanted. Shaft. Shaft is the man. Do you know that Sammy Davis Jr., he's done, he did that, and he's also done versions of the theme song to the Jeffersons (laughs) (laughs) and Good Times. Well, we're moving on up to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. Fish don't fry in the kitchen, and beans don't burn on the grill. It took a whole lot of trying just to get up that hill. But now we're up in the big leaves and getting on turn at bat. As long as we live, it's you and me, baby, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. Cause we're moving on up to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. Welcome to another stop on the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. I am your host, Vincent Williams of It's All Soul, Wednesdays 8 to 10 on G-Town Radio, and I am joined as always by... Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble of Black Tribbles fame. And tonight, we're taking not really a detour. I wouldn't call it no, a detour. No, not at all. It's, not at all. It's maybe a, a, a rest stop. Maybe a rest stop? A rest maybe stop? Maybe a rest stop. You would call this a rest. I wouldn't stop? call it a rest stop. Maybe, uh, a, maybe it's a. Uh, it's, that, that that paints a that doesn't paint a pretty picture. We're stopping to see a cousin. Okay. We're stopping to see a cousin, so it's not quite a detour. Okay. But it's stopping to see because we're doing a documentary this evening. Okay. Oh, that's right. Because we, you don't consider documentaries. We are doing a documentary. True black we are, films. We are doing wax 
Watt Stacks. Yes, say it right. Watt Watt Stacks. Stacks, The legendary documentary of the concert that took place in Watt, in the in Watts, California, in nineteen seventy-two. It happened in seventy-two. The movie came out to commemorate the anniversary of the Watts riot slash uprisings, depending on your perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And we are joined by, and I just realized, Lynn practice pronouncing your name, but I did not. Her Gretchen name. Klausing. Gretchen Klausing. Or Gretchen Klausing. Of Philly Cam fame. Actually, she is the head muckety-muck at Philly Cam. What Philly Cam is, is Gretchen Klausing. But also, she is a creator and host of a great series, radio show, that comes on Tuesdays at 10 a.m., on WPPM LP 106.5 FM, Philly Can Radio, People Power Media. It's called Pulling Focus. It's almost like you should have done it. Welcome. I'm here. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Gretchen, how you doing? How are you? I'm good. It's good to be here, Len and Vince. Oh, welcome. Welcome, yes, welcome. Yes. So we'd like to start off our show um going over our fan feedback that we get from people from emails and Twitter and everything like that. However, Pulling Focus, your radio show. I mean, we could talk about how you ran Philly Cam from the beginning and now you you, you took it from this fledgling uh, 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 public access TV station that was done in the back of a, of a, of a Jeep on a corner on Market Street <laughs> to now it, it it's housed in this beautiful, is beautiful. media complex in the heart of Center City with uh, its own immaculate TV studios, a green screen studios, meeting places plenty, an express studio, and its very own fully functional FM friendly radio station. It is just bananas what you got going over there at Philly Camp. But that's small potatoes. Could compare to what you are doing on pulling focus your radio show. Aw, stop it. Well, you know, really it was part of my master plan was just to create this entire complex so then I could then have my own radio show. It's not a bad plan. <laughs> that's really that that's what it's all about. Very Lex Luthor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it's you know, I think I became passionate about um, public access and community media kind of just through all my work over the years as mm-hmm. being more of a facilitator, I think. You know, okay. I, I went to film school and thought I was going to be a documentary filmmaker. And, okay. and we'll talk more about your issue with oh, it's not documentaries. Issue. It's not an issue. No, it's it's, not just, an it's issue. How, just how Vince don't know what he's talking about. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, whatever. So, um, and then it was, I got really interested in this idea of creating uh, or making sure that people had platforms to be able to to show their work. And that that was something that was really important to me as being like a film exhibitor um, in in Philadelphia because I worked at International House and Prince Theater and Scribe Video Center. And it was always kind of creating space for people to like Mm -hmm. talk about film and make film and, and, and do it with other people. Mm-hmm. And so Philly not having public access was something to me that was like sort of a no brainer that we really needed to kind of make that happen. And, you know, I, again, I did it not with many other people. This was like as a result of a, of a pretty 
you know, tremendous grassroots campaign that went on for many years. And, you know, this was not solely my vision. It was one that was of the collective. And I, I just was like fortunate enough to be chosen to be the executive director and could be the implementer, so to speak. And it seems like a city Philadelphia size would have had public access. And I'm, oh, it what? was supposed to. It was supposed to have it starting back in the 80s, but okay. for many reasons that are potentially unique to Philadelphia, it took, you know, many activists and, you know, fighting for nearly 30 years to finally make it happen. Okay. But radio has been something that's been really kind of near and dear to my heart. I was on radio in college and really saw the birth of WPPM as an opportunity for maybe me to do something that was creative. You know, again, creating space for everybody else to do that at Philly Cam is amazing, but I was feeling that I needed to kind of feed my kind of creative Mm -hmm. urges a little Mm -hmm. bit. And I really missed uh, not having a chance to kind of talk to filmmakers and talk to curators as I used to do when I was a film programmer. And so I thought, oh, this is my chance to kind of do that again. I felt like there weren't a lot of people due to the closing of all of the weekly papers and there's nobody really writing about repertory film. Right, right, right. And, you know, there's just so much stuff going on, but nobody, you know, there's very little press coverage about it. So I thought, well, this, you know, in my small way is... Uh, a chance to do that. And then I just love soundtrack and sound score music. I feel like it, mm. it gives you the opportunity to play all kinds of genres from all different countries. And so, yeah, I get to do that for an hour every week. Do you remember what is the first soundtrack that really spoke to you that really caught your ear? Well, uh, you know, I have to say it's it was probably uh, The Graduate. Because my parents oh, had God, it, nothing wrong with and that I love that soundtrack so much. And I, I particularly loved the kind of like the instrumental stuff, like when mm-hmm. he's like driving in his spider, like <laughs> right, you know, right, and right. and you know, so that, that was probably and and like Beatles, Beatles music, so like Yellow Submarine, Magical Mystery Tour, Hard Day's right. Night, okay. all of those. But yeah, definitely probably The Graduate was the first soundtrack album that I actually remember kind of holding on to and then associating it really closely with the film. As much as I'm a fan of the Beatles, and I and I am a fan of the Beatles, my first foray into the Beatles was kind of sideways through television because it was a record, Alvin and the Chipmunks Sing the Beatles. <laughs> you haven't heard A Hard Day's Night till you've heard Alvin and the Chipmunks singing A Hard Day's Night. But that was my introduction to the Beatles. All right. Because then when I heard the Beatles singing, it's like, they're singing Alvin chipmunk song right, right. and people were like no no Lynn you gotta twist it I'm sorry I'm like alright if you say so well let's go the other direction what's the last good soundtrack or score that you've heard Moonlight okay alright yeah, Moonlight. Ooh, big it's fans a beautiful, of Moonlight. Yeah, so. it's I yeah, it's and it's a yeah. beautiful, it's a beautiful score, both the uh, the composed music and then and then I guess kind of like the soundtrack. the soundtrack right, part. Right. But yeah, okay. I'd say Moonlight. Well, there you go, from the Beatles and the Graduate to Moonlight. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I'm curious, real quick, when you were on radio in college, did you have like a radio name? Yes, you did. I'm kind of embarrassed, but I will I will disclose. Okay. So I actually hosted uh, one of the reggae shows on what? my college radio station. Well, this is going to be great. 
and I started in my freshman year and I was kind of like the intern assistant to the woman who was doing the show at the time. So mm-hmm. I started out as the Rankin Rebel. The Rankin the Rebel. The Rankin Rebel. And then when she graduated and I took over the show, I became <laughs> the den mother. Ooh. Great. <laughs> so Ooh, yes, dude. I did have a radio name. And I also DJed on a commercial station while I was in college, and they didn't want me to use my actual name, so then I was Lee Clausing, which is my middle name. Oh, okay. I've had had several radio names. Mm. Now, why didn't they want you to use your name? I don't know. Okay, I thought maybe it was well because I also used my name on the college radio station, and maybe they didn't want to be that transparent that they were having college DJs on their (laughs) commercial radio station. I don't know. (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy. I I like that. I like the den mother though. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Wow. Can you do an air check real quick? Den mother. Um, all right. So you're listening to the reggae explosions here on (laughs) WICBFM with the den mother. Mm. Well, all right. Mm. <laughs> it works with her little librarian glasses, too, man. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, thank you, Gretchen. Thank you for, uh, yes. for uh, you know, sitting in with us. Yes. On yeah. Thanks for Michelle. having me. Oh, oh, I this feel is super fun. honored, actually. Oh. Uh, this is fun. Looking forward to this. Most definitely. Yeah, I haven't seen this in a while, so. All right, so let's go through a couple of our emails real quick. Uh, okay. Vince, if you do not mind, um, we got an email. Um, first of all, uh, we got an email from Aaron Fry. We actually got two emails from Aaron Fry. Okay. Um, when we spoke about possibly doing cartoons. And Gretchen, feel free to answer this question. Yes, yes. Which Hanna-Barbera cartoon from the past needs to be updated or crossed over to another cartoon. My vote for updated would be Johnny Quest and to be crossed over would be <laughs> Mike Tyson Mysteries and Johnny Bravo. That's a good one. What, the Mike Tyson Mysteries and Mike Johnny? Tyson, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe not Johnny Bravo, but certainly I think Mike Tyson could work in the Johnny Quest world. Mm, well, he wouldn't miss. He wouldn't mix Mike Tyson with Johnny Quest. He would mix Mike Tyson and Johnny Bravo. He thinks that Johnny Quest needs to be updated. Updated. Oh, okay. So, so he's putting them together. D- yeah. So he's asking, which one do you think needs to be updated, and which do you think would be good to as, as in a crossover? I don't know about the crossover, but I think the Herculoids are begging. To be updated. The Herculoids. The Herculoids Space Adventure. Yeah, I guess. I guess they were kind of cool. Make it a little dark. Make it like The Expanse. I would like to see the... See, I wouldn't mind seeing the Herculoids updated, but if I updated it, it would be just a one and done. Because it would be that family of, you know, humanoids, you know, with their monsters. Right. And then the monsters would realize, who are you telling me to do what? And then they would eat the humanoids. So now it's a monster uprising in Herculoids. And it's over. It's done. It's a little dark. You just said you wanted dark. I don't know if I wanted it that dark. I didn't want everybody to get eaten. But why, okay, sure, why not? Why can't they die? Hey, let's go for it. Let's, let's go for die. It's 2017. Hanna-Barbera, give us a call. There you go. Congratulations, are you a cartoon <laughs> fan? I'm a fan. 
fan, but I don't know if I go as deep as you guys do. <laughs> Nobody goes as deep as you. <laughs> A lot of useless information up there. Yes. So. Yes. Did you have a favorite cartoon? Did I have a favorite cartoon as a kid? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I watched a lot of cartoons, but um, I'm kind of drawing a little bit of a blank. I was kind of thinking in the updating, and I was thinking about you and the Tribbles and thinking maybe the Jetsons. Oh, the Jetsons. Oh, yeah. Jetsons would be good. Yeah, yeah, the kinda... Jetsons updated like Black Mirror. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Jetsons... Oh, that would be scary. <laughs> You're talking dark, man. I know. <laughs> Cross over to Jetsons with Black Mirror. Yeah, I just see Rosie standing over Judy's bed at like three in the morning. <laughs> Her eyes blinking. <laughs> Wait, why she gotta be standing over Judy? Why Judy? Because I couldn't remember. Uh, I couldn't remember Elroy's name as I was saying it. Mm. Mm. She can stand over Elroy's bed too. I just feel like there was more going on with Rosie than they really yeah. kind of addressed. Yeah, I do too. Rosie was, uh, you know, it's, it's like she was aware. She was sort of an independent personality, but she was like a robot slave at the same time. Yeah. So. And she was the last of her kind because remember, they were going to throw her out. Exactly. So we, we need to know her backstory. Right. Have you ever heard the Jetsons Flintstones theory? No. Have you heard this one? Yes. So the theory is that on the Jetsons, you know, they only show them in the sky. Right. They never show what's on the ground. So the theory is that the Flintstones is actually in the future, but it's post-apocalyptic. So everything going on in the Flintstones <laughs> is on the ground, and the Jetsons are in the air, and they're the humans that escaped the apocalypse. Bags of useless information. <laughs> because when you think about the Flintstones, it explains why they had all that modern stuff, but kind of jury-rigged with animals. So they had knowledge of it, but they didn't have electricity and everything because it's post-apocalyptic. Gotcha. I just thought of another cartoon that was like a big favorite of mine. Um, the Fractured Fairy Tales. And oh, yeah. The, you know, with uh, and also like Boris and Natasha and Bullwinkle and Rocky. <laughs> kind of relevant nowadays. Yeah, totally. Those, <laughs> are, wow. those, those are also. Favorites. I was. I almost like like went crazy when I heard they were doing a Bullwinkle movie. And then they cast Robert De Niro as the fearless leader. And I was like, you know what? I could work with that. Right, I could right. work with that. Because Robert De Niro, he, he's got a funny bone. You know, he doesn't like to show in the interviews. But in the movie, he's got a funny bone. I could work with this. I could work with this. And then they said they were going to do Rocky and Bullwinkle animated, but everything else was going to be like, yo, I'm with this. I'm with some, like, some Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle. Man, that movie was garbage. I was about to say, I don't even really remember it. It was, it was, oh my God, it was garbage. That's a shame. Yes, it was. I was hurt. I'm sorry. I was really, really hurt. Now, conversely, a couple of years ago, maybe just, just last year, they did a computer animated Peanuts movie. Oh, I haven't seen that. It was really good. I've heard people say it was better than you thought it would be. It was really good. And and to be computer animated, it it stuck like with the feel of Charles Schultz illustration. You know the problem with that, and now I'm gonna get in trouble, but I'm gonna say what everybody thinks. The problem with Peanuts that Schultz was not directly involved in is that Charles Schultz never turned down a check. So the oh. Peanuts were licensed 
to so many different things. Yeah. That it's hard to figure out what's good and what isn't. Well, that's not really because while they were licensed because to everything because while they were licensed to a lot of stuff, <laughs> everything he was relatively you know he was relatively he, he, he was a little selective. He was not selective at all. Okay, maybe he wasn't that selective, <laughs> but he was selective as far as the media that they would be in. Like he 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 kept his hands in on most of the. The uh, television specials and the movies, him and his partner Bill Melendez. Right. They they kept their hands in there, which tried to keep them faithful to the universe that Charles had created. I think the problem was after he died, it really was. It had the whiff of a money grab. Everything involved with peanuts. I, I don't fairly or unfairly, just because he was so open to licensing peanuts. I say I don't. I, I I I I'm sorry. I have to disagree with you. It's your Charles Schultz love. I love him too. We all love him. But tell the truth, he never turned down a check. He didn't. <laughs> I can't. You're right. You know. He didn't turn down a check. He didn't turn down a check. Well, we don't mean tight. All right, we got other emails. He's sitting here all day with you on with this. <laughs> Aaron Fry wrote us another email. All right, Aaron. Uh, about a forgotten movie. Okay, well, we've, we've forgotten movie. He just finished watching Head of State with Chris Rock, a very funny and underrated movie. But there was another film about the first black president. I remember seeing it in the seventies. It was called The Man, and it starred the man himself, James Earl Jones. It was written by that. Rod Serling of Twilight Zone and mm-hmm. Night Gallery fame. Well. More Twilight Zone fame. And it's on YouTube. Interesting. I remember it being very, very kind of stern and po-faced. Really? Like a black man in charge. And people kind of wrung their hands the whole movie. I can see that yeah. happening. I, I, have, I, I think I vaguely remember hearing right. about that film. And then Head of State is hilarious because, I mean, a black guy in charge. Ridiculous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's see what hijinks ensue. Steve Tozen hit us up on our Facebook fan group to say that, hey, um, <clears throat> what's up, Steve? Two guys on a mission said that they were going to review a man called Hawk on the binge lounge back, way back in January. We talked, <coughs> about, we talked about a man called Hawk. Yeah, but we did say we were going to review it. We didn't really we review, didn't it. review it. Okay, you're right, Steve. All right. I'm not pointing fingers, but it's Lynn's fault. What? You, would, you didn't even watch I watched them. Did you watch them? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and we also heard from uh, Bougie Square Society. Oh yeah, yeah. Who do you choose as a girlfriend from a, the TV show yeah, A Different World? I saw that. Yeah, that. I mean, of course, Whitley Gilbert for me. Of course, you. Uh, Rashid Grafar said, "Cree Summers, Jay, another cup of uh, of Kool Aid." <laughs> said uh, Chanel Brown. I got to think for Chanel Brown. Know, yeah, yeah. It's Kimberly Reese. I do. Um, Kimberly Reese had a strong and passionate camp. She did. She did. Uh, and uh, Bougie themselves voted for Lisa Bonet. Lisa Bonet herself. She's a good looking woman. Well, you know, I'm a second season Cosby show than that season when she came back to the Cosby show. I didn't like that season when she came back from the Cosby show. Cause no, because sometimes she'd have like the little bun. No, no. Like sometimes she'd look like a forest witch yeah. and have all that stuff in her hair. But forest sometimes witch. she did. Lisa, you got to watch. Hey, hey. My forest. Lisa Bonet bona fides are bona fide. 
Okay. But Lisa Bonet looks like she'll put a curse on you and your family sometimes. That's true. What was that movie that she did with Robert De Niro? Oh, Angel Heart. Yeah, Angel Heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she's creepy looking in that one. Yeah, yeah. But then she was. Um, what is she in? Um, High Fidelity. Not High Fidelity. She was in the movie the with American Will Smith of um, Life on Mars. The movie with Will Smith. She was in the one where he's um, getting tracked. Oh, enemy! Not enemy of the state. It is um, enemy of the state. Enemy of the state. Enemy of the state. Yes, she is in that. She's in that and one. I'm usually good with my Lisa Bonet. Yeah, mother. so your bona fides. I forgot about. Bona, yeah, I forgot about enemy of the bona state. Bona BS. All right, I got you on that. All right, and I think that pretty much is. Oh, we have to thank everybody for coming out. We do have to thank everybody yeah. for coming out. Um, <laughs> for, uh, for Vampire, in, Vampire Brooklyn. in Brooklyn at Amalgams on Saturday. It was a whole lot of fun. It was a whole lot of fun and a whole lot of people. It was a lot of people. Standing room only. Who, who knew Vampire in Brooklyn was the one? I, right. If that's the one that's going to yeah, bring them to the yard. Right. But it, it brought them down. One person came down like, this is my favorite Eddie Murphy movie. That's what he said. Gretchen, do you have a favorite Eddie Murphy movie? Do I have a favorite? I, uh, I feel like this is kind of a lame answer, but I really do love Trading Places. It's not a lame, lame answer. Okay. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. All right. It's I a really, great movie. I like Trading Places. I actually said it was perfect a few episodes ago. Whoa. I think it's a perfect comedy. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's not perfect. Can't wait till we actually talk about it. Do you mean that it would even be perfect today? Because it's problematic. I mean, today. you know, there's stuff that age that doesn't age that well just because it's 2017. But well, I don't know. 19. What year would that movie come out? 19. Jeez. What was that? 84. 1984. Dan Aykroyd in blackface. Ain't that that that's no. no. But that was a sign of him. Um... Oh yeah, that was just wrong. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I wanted to see where you were going with that one. No, no, no. (laughs) Well, you know, on on the one hand, I think they were trying to be ridiculous Mm -hmm. during that scene to distract Mm -hmm. the guy. But, you know, yeah, the black faces, you know, they went went a little broad. It went went broad. Now, to be honest, I didn't really mind it because I knew what they they were doing. No, 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 no. But I, yeah. But, like, uh, Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic uh, Thunder. Tropic Thunder, right. Mm -hmm. That didn't bother me. Well, that was the whole point, though. Like, it shouldn't bother you if that's the point of it. Yeah, but there are people. There are some people that like yo. They lost their. They lost their. I don't. I don't. I don't mind people having a hair trigger about this type of thing. So I guess. Yeah. You know, that's worth having. But sometimes you have to tag out. Like sometimes you have to tag out and let other people take it. You do so. All right. The last thing I'm going to hit us up on. We did an homage. To um, faithful listeners of the Michelle Mission, Dorian and Simone Missick. They had Simone Missick plays um, Misty Knight on Netflix Luke Cage TV series. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And her husband Dorian Missick. Uh, they had spent uh, the last thirty days being vegan. So to celebrate the end of that, they did a video side by side of them eating what I thought was like a real big thick. It was called the Impossible Burger. But it was actually was a vegan burger that supposedly tastes just like a beef burger. And they were both going on about how great it was. It was fantastic as they were sitting there with mouth dripping with <laughs> vegan stuff. Um, 
So me and Vince did an homage to that. <laughs> After 30 days of doing vampire movies, 30 days of vampires, we in blood sucking, we felt that we needed to go vegan. Uh, so we got on that last. Well, we, it was only for the it was only for the video. It didn't even last for the video because <laughs> it, it was supposed to be a vegan pizza, but it actually was just a vegetable pizza. <laughs> so it was a vegan pizza with real cheese. Which just makes it a regular pizza. You didn't go for the soy? No, no. soy cheese? I, 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 apparently, I ordered wrong. Um, or you ordered right. Yeah, because it was pretty good. It was pretty good. So we put a video of that, uh, of us side by side eating those pizza up there. And we, we talk about the same thing as they talked about in their video about how much, you know, they lo- love trying to go vegan and now they're going to try and. You know, try to exercise their yeah, life this like way. A meatless Monday. Yeah, you know, they're not gonna go hardcore vegan, but you know, try and work their way into right, it. Right, right. Um, so we put it out there, and Dorian saw our video, and he responded. <laughs> I don't appreciate the mocking nature of this video. What a shame that black folks can't support each other in their journey to be great. I, for one, am having, am trying hard, so hard, to stay the path. Yet you brothers (laughs) insist on being a stumbling block to my progress by posting this delicious pizza. Dripping with cheese and various delectable ingredients while cackling like devilish hyenas. Have you no shame? Just the mention of ribs can send me into a tailspin. This is serious health business, fellas. In order to keep my marriage happy, I have to at least pretend to enjoy this lifestyle. Don't blow my cover. I got a good thing going here. Signed, Dorian Missick. Yes, yes, yes. Well, sorry, Dorian. Sorry, Dorian. Sorry. It was good, though. It was good. Guess we won't be posting that uh, crab leg video. So I guess if you come to Philly, you don't want to go to Max's. Then is this? Is yeah, is that what you're saying? Right. Like, is it, you mean you, know, you, you come to Philly? We're we, here we, to support you. We're not doing a Max's run. So, you know. I think they got a vegan cheese steak. Do they have a they vegan do cheese? Not have a no, vegan <laughs> Max's ain't got nothing. Yeah, Max's has Max's will throw you out right. if you come in there asking for a vegan cheese right. steak. So all right, all right. <laughs> enough of that. Thank you very much, everybody. Yes, yes. Thank, thank you, all of you. Thank you so much to everybody that follows us uh, and likes us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Michelle Mission. Join the Facebook group, The Michelle Mission, and always uh, emails us. They they were spoiling the hell out of Queen Sugar last week. I had to leave it alone. Yeah, I didn't didn't read that because I knew. And then they were just like, and I said, well, you know, I haven't seen the episode yet. People were just like, whatever. They ain't care. Right. (laughs) Hey, it's a safe space there. So they they were going. It's sort of like I can't look at anything. Because of Stranger Things. I haven't watched it yet. I've only seen two episodes, but people are just like... I know, know, everybody's going ham on it, right? Right, right. So it's it's crazy. See, and here's the thing. I, I started to watch... I wanted to watch Stranger Things. But I started to watch an episode... Netflix has another series called Mindhunter that I started to watch, which... It's dated back in the 70s. And it's basically, even though it's like a kind of like a serial killer of the... Of the uh, episode thing it actually is like the beginning of the whole crime uh uh profiling right from the right. fbi and it's really pretty interesting i've heard it was good and i wanted to finish that first episode well the next thing i know i was four episodes deep 
So I haven't been able to get to Stranger Things yet. It's that's how it happens. And and that's but now everybody's talking about Stranger Things. Yeah. Gotta so, shut it out. Gotta shut it out. I can't shut it out. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I go to comic book stores. That's all they're talking I about. Oh, I know. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. But yeah, join the Facebook group. A lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. We have a big fun there. And we're gonna have big fun tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Because we are about to dig deep into our review of Watts Stacks. All right. nigger night because white folks go out about eight and leave and go home at ten and leave it to the niggas because it gets stick can't nobody give a sister blues like a man <laughs> that's the blues that's the show enough blues i'll play the blues for you Have you ever in your life had to jump out of a window behind a woman? Yeah. Have you ever in your life been caught in the bed with a woman? Yes, I have. Is that where you got this from? If love and you is wrong, I don't want to be right. I can go anywhere in the United States of America and see another black man and give him a power shake, and, and there's yeah. unity there. I prefer an older broad to a younger broad any day because, like, the understanding is here and not so much here. Well, See, a lot of people think with the mouth, not uh, the brother, head, I you know, you like your mama. <laughs> <laughs> Black is beautiful, white is divine. Now that nigga's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what you see, what you see, is what you get, is what you get. The brother all of us have been waiting for, Isaac
Wattstacks, a benefit concert organized by Stax Record to commemorate the 7th anniversary of the 1965 riots in the African-American community of Watts, Los Angeles. The concert took place at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum on August 20th, 1972, where the performers included all of the Dax Records' prominent artists of the time. Genres of songs performed were soul, gospel, R&B, funk, jazz, and, hey, blues. Months after the festival, Stax released a double LP of the concert's highlights titled Watch Stacks The Living Word and then the concert was filmed by David Wolper's film crew directed by Mel Stewart and made into the 1973 documentary Watch Stacks which was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Documentary Film in 1974 this stop along the Michelle Mission on our road to 100 was brought to us by none other than Pulling Focus's Gretchen Clausen. That's right. So Gretchen, Lee, Oden Mother, <laughs> what say thee of Watts Stacks? Well, when you guys gave me the invitation to come and I was kind of going through various films that I would want to talk about in terms of your journey of the Michaud mission. I, you know, I was kind of hesitating, but given Vince's interest in music, yes, I thought that this would be fun to talk about. And mm-hmm. I thought it would be just kind of a, like a hoot, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of remembering it. And then I watched it again before coming in and I realized how it still resonates today and how in terms of this microcosm of, of being a celebration of sort of black culture in the seventies mm-hmm. with a lot of really uh, incredible sort of interviews and just sort of um, images of the South central neighborhoods that was Watts, how much of what is kind of being talked about still is relevant and resonates today. So it's it's not all about, oh my God, look at that crazy, you know, Isaac Hayes in the chain mail, you know, <laughs> outfit or Rufus Thomas in the, the pink Bermuda shorts and the oh. though the fashion is to die for in this film, it to me there's there's a lot that would make it interesting for audiences to see today. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So that's why I went. Oh, absolutely. But one that like, you know, and, and again, this was, this was not me being, you know, sort of kind of brilliant and thinking like, Oh, we need to talk about this now. When I started to watch it again and I was really, um, moved by and wanted to talk to you guys about one scene in particular, which was the whole thing with the national anthem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And how kind of now with the whole thing with the NFL and Colin Kaepernick and taking a knee and everything and how when they play the Star Spangled Banner kind of at the opening. Well, first of all, they're playing in the L.A. Coliseum. Right. 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 After a football game. Right. Literally, the football game ends. (laughs) Right. They're bringing the planks out to the field instead of build up the stage. 
Right. And, you know, it was a whole big negotiation to kind of be able to hold this concert, right. you know, and open it up to the community and have have this concert take place. And so you're you're already in this football stadium and they they've got the stage and they they play the, you know, the 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 they perform the anthem and nobody's paying attention. Right. Nope. Nobody's paying right, attention. Yeah. People are sitting there. And they, and I really feel like the filmmakers themselves purposely made a point of kind of cutting away to kind of show that there was just, you know, people were not kind of um, having this, like, patriotic moment with exactly. the anthem. Right, right. But then you see the contrast of with the... Um, kind of the black national anthem and it's totally different and it's much more of this like kind of galvanizing moment and and then they also show throughout the film just kind of um i think there is a shot of like juan carlos with his fist up at the at the olympics and so to me it was just sort of seeing that and just knowing what's in you know the just the news now with the with the nfl i thought was like really interesting you you they show the the clip of Juan Carlo, but there's also a an image in graffiti. Yes, of, of right. you know, that somebody had created there, and I I too was well, like, you you never know, you know, in editing, you know, like maybe were the people really not paying attention at the national anthem? You really don't know, but I do think that it's telling. Back in 1973, they certainly, if it is editing, they edited it that way, right, for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, that the national anthem is, you know, it's just a, it's just an afterthought. Which, let's be honest, before 9/11, it had become in a lot of like sports endeavors and stuff like sure. that. It was this thing that you didn't show on television that you you. If you were um, getting your food in, in 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 line, you were like, "Oh, they're singing the national anthem. I'm, right. I'm so good. Mm-hmm. I still got five mm-hmm. minutes." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, who's singing? If Patti LaBelle, I got fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Right, you know right. what I mean? So I mean, it, it's totally different. But meanwhile, when the black national anthem comes, right, it's that contrast. Plus, you know, plus it's set up by a very young Jesse Jackson and yeah. all his Jacksonness. <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, he he's going for it. Right. You know, so, you know, he's definitely building it up. Get your hands up. <laughs> I am. I mean, you you can't. Right, right. You can't not be. It's on the Jumbotron. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's when the Jumbotron turned on. It's like, if she does, turn on the Jumbotron. And, and, you know, and we've talked about it before. You, you know, it's it's like you meet these people in the 80s, you know, your memory of them is in the 80s and in the 90s, whether, you know, we've talked about, you know, Cab Calloway or or um, Lena Horne, mm-hmm. and you forget that they weren't always this sort of older person. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think it's easy to forget that I am somebody wasn't almost a punchline. Right. When people make jokes about Jesse Jackson, it's yeah. like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, this is your thing. But um I agree with you about the the national anthem and and the black national anthem and how they sort sort of show the dichotomy between them. But I think what really struck me this time about Watt Stacks is how the filmmakers made this very deliberate decision to show the usefulness and the purpose of music in people's lives. Like from the very beginning, you know, whether it's intercut with the interviews, whether it's, you you know, like I thought it was an amazing decision to show the emotion singing um, in a church. 
Yeah. That's an amazing scene. When they talk about gospel so that this isn't just entertainment. This this is actually part of people's lives. And, you know, and you go from gospel to the blues to R&B. And I, I agree with you. I think that's amazingly relevant. And, you know, you have the kids in the street, you know, chanting, we going to be all right. And, you know, they've taken Kendrick Lamar and kind of turned it into an anthem and it is. It, 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 it's like they could have made this yesterday mm-hmm. as far as the, the themes. Yeah. Well, and I think that to me, you know, it's more than a concert film. And that's what I really find interesting about it is is the structure uh, as to how the film is put together and, and yeah. some of the decisions mm-hmm. that the that the creative team made. And and again, I think in selecting this film, I was I was hesitant, you know, because it's it it's it's directed by a white guy you know right, and so right. and and produced by a white guy and mm-hmm. and so wondering in terms of how that sort of fits into your sort of definition right. of a black film that's an ongoing conversation <laughs> but i really and in listening to interviews given by mel stewart uh the director who we should also say was the director of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. Quite a filmography. <laughs> and uh, he and uh, made a, a very clear decision that it was paramount to the success of this film that the camera operators and the sound operators and as many of the, the kind crew. of the crew right, right. be people of color. Mm-hmm. Like that was mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. And that he, you know, knew that you would not, he would not as a white director have been able to get the kind of candid interviews, uh, right. sort of those man right. on the street yeah. uh, conversations that sort of make up the, the kind of thread of, of the film and just also, you know, the decisions that were made to, for example, do the montage of like all of the storefront churches. Right. I love that part. You know, and just like, you know, and, or just how, how being able to capture those, um, there's like these couples, you know, these men and women that are just like on the street, just yeah. like these little interactions. Right, like right. those are being filmed by people that live in that neighborhood and, exactly. that, and that know these people. Yeah. And so to me, um, Wattstax is, is is this incredible celebration and and kind of investigation of of black culture in south central los angeles in in the 70s right and i think that with you know the whole idea of the festival that they're doing the the watts summer festival which is to commemorate the the watts riot of 65 and they never want to forget what created the those riots or or uprising depending on your point of view they never want to do that but they also want to be celebratory of who they are Mm -hmm. Um, we don't want to forget but we don't want to lose who we are there certainly could have um, been a um, temptation when you're now the festival and the concert is being exploded to a grander scale to really maybe kind of drum beat like, yeah, this is why we got to stand up, you know, against the man and everything like that. And I thought that it was 
Um, and believe me, something like that still would be resonant today. Right. But I think while there's certainly a lot, some of that in there, it's juxtapos- uh, juxtaposed, like you said, with just everyday life. You know, groups of guys talking about, you know, like dealing with women, you know, right. uh, get groups of women talking you about the guys, men, yeah. you know, um, I, too, was like really struck by just those storefront churches, the storefront churches and the scenes of going into the church. Because I remember the times when your church wasn't like a mega church, when right. the choir had to come in from the outside to line up. To make it to the pews. I remember those days. I remember the the days when the church, the first 10 pews was nothing but the mothers of the church, you know, sitting there adorned in their hats and just taking it all in and everybody giving them the, the utmost respect. Um, I remember those days of just being in a barbershop, just talking smack with your boys, you know, like, and one dude talking more smack than the other one, and the other one's just slapping it down. Yeah, you, your wife make you think that you <laughs> right. run to this joint. You know what I mean? And, but, but, but then seeing that um, it is 100% authentic black life, but it is 100% authentic watts and it's that is what you're not going to see anymore Mm -hmm. you don't see it on on that level anymore this concert they wanted to make the tickets affordable for everybody they were a dollar they were a dollar yeah they were a dollar didn't matter where you were it was a dollar yeah can you imagine if someone said they were making a concert now affordable for everybody that would mean that the concert is fifty dollars. Right. You know, that's the low ball. You know, I mean, but that's not affordable for everybody. No. Of course not. But in their minds, <laughs> yeah. it is. You know, because they got to because they got to deal with their sponsors and everything like that. You know, that's uh, to me that was really interesting about it's. You know, I think this film was incredibly optimistic. Yes. Yeah. And and you know, I think. Um, you know, yeah, you're you're right. This 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 notion of of money and credit, like it wasn't, it didn't really feel like it was there. Like the artists no. were showing. I mean, they were all stacks artists. I was so about obviously, to say, I think right. So they're showing up because well, it's their record label, right? But you you didn't have like sponsor logos everywhere, no. and it right. just it just sort of had um, this kind of non commercial. Uh, feeling about it, yeah. Um, that I think is was you know refreshing, and you know I, I'm I'm not really sure you could see something like that happen again. Well, I think a lot of that had to do with it being stacks, though. Like I think when you sort of look at which was a label out of Memphis, la- it's a label out of Memphis, but and and you know it was very much you know almost a community label. Like you think yeah. about the Barkays, you think about Isaac Hayes, you think about the their practices with people coming in and out of the studio so that if Atlantic had, had sort of sponsored this or Motown or Capital, I think it would have been a different feel even with that. Oh yeah. You, you know, we mm-hmm. talked before, um, before we were, were recording breaking the Cardinal rule, you know, about that wonderful scene with Rufus Thomas <laughs> cutting up, but then he sort of controls the crowd. And he has this wonderful camaraderie. Wait, 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 wait. you got to describe it, though. We got to describe so it. So people are rushing the stage. Well, because people, we'll, 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 it's well, important. He's performing the funky chicken. But can I, can I just can I yeah, jump go, in? Go, right. go ahead. So I just want to set the scene so that folks can see it. So you're at the L.A. Coliseum, which is like this beautiful, you know, kind of 
Sports complex. Sports, yes. sports complex, you know, the arches and everything. And then there's this little tiny st- – well, it wasn't that tiny, but the stage was built on this, like, 20-foot-high platform, like, right. in the middle of the field. Right, right. But then nobody could be on the field. Because like, it was a football practice. Right. Football and field. that was something that the, the, the folks of the L.A. Coliseum were really clear about, that there was going to be a problem if people were on the field because they needed to protect, I guess, the, 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 grass, the grass or grass. whatever. Yeah. Right. And up until the point where Rufus Thomas goes on, you know, people were pretty chill and staying in the stands. But then, and I will allow you to continue. It's time for the funky chicken. (laughs) Which Which I knew was a thing. It's it's sort of like Jesse Jackson. Like, by the time you got to the funky chicken, it has sort of devolved into almost a a joke. You know, something that people did at at wedding... um, Yes. Receptions. Yes. But while I knew it was a thing, I knew that it was an actual dance. Right. That, 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 you know, my sister, this is her time. Right. My older sister. So I've seen my sister Adrian doing the funky chicken. I can see that. Oh, I'm just kind of like, you know. Right. If I didn't know, you know, it was called the funky chicken, it's just look how she dances. Right. But I did not know <laughs> that the singer and creator of the funky chicken was my uncle Tony. I mean <laughs> Rufus Tom, first of all, Rufus Thomas. Rufus Thomas. It cannot be his real name. That is his name. That is his th- that, that's what his mama named him. Father of Carla Thomas. Car oh, Carla Carla Thomas, another great stack singer. Who's in the film as well? Mm-hmm. Looking beautiful. Is she? Yeah. I didn't see Carla. That's her on um, Otis Redding's Tramp. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, I did, I needed more Carla, less Rufus. I needed <laughs> I needed less Rufus. I needed less pink. I needed I need because he's got he's got I mean, what is what is he wearing? Here's the thing though. Again, he's jokey, he's funny, he's ridiculous. I thought it was Dolomite's father. But when it's time to move this crowd of people with nothing but his voice, he's able to do it. He's able to command this crowd. So they basically leave, except for one well, guy. Well, Barbie runs on the field. Right, right. And- which, they do the funky chicken. Which I actually thought, speaking like beautiful moments in this. Right. I thought that was an absolute beautiful breathtaking moment yes to see everybody rushing onto that to the field to dance yes. i know and they were just da- and and there were people just coming you know left and right and they just finding someone to dance with you know and if you didn't find someone to dance with you were just dancing there was no and if somebody was doing a split you gave them the room and maybe you split with them you know you broke it down for you know Boom, boom, rerun. You, I mean, they were breaking. It was such a beautiful. People were in the stands. They were on the dugouts. They were grooving, man. But we have to get them off the field. <laughs> yes, they're not supposed to be on the field. <laughs> and Rufus Thomas, who basically summoned them to the Dude, field. summoned them to the field. <laughs> is now able to make them go away. Except for one guy. <laughs> and it's this. Uh, like, uh, like, I was so struck by the exchange of how the one guy, he's halfway belligerent, halfway joking, he's passive aggressive, then he's a little aggressive aggressive <laughs> about not leaving. And Rufus Thomas handles him with humor. And he kind of, you, you know, he, he really just sort of 
de-escalates the situation. Yeah, he does. And then he gets, you know, he gets the crowd to come and get the guy and move him. <laughs> but it's this amazing moment. Yeah, it's cool. It was you, cool. You know, it's this amazing moment. And again, I think that speaks to the relationship that these artists had with this crowd. That I don't know if, if how often you see that. Yeah. And I also think it had to, because also during that scene when people rush onto the field, you notice the police. And they were predominantly African-American cops. Yes. And they were sort of like, what, what, huh? And then right. they were just like, ah, you know, and they just kind of let people do it. Yeah, right. And to me, that was also really telling you know and and just kind of the vibe that was there and that you know the concert organizers had specifically reached out to as many black officers within the lapd Mm -hmm. as they could to kind of work yeah the show yeah yeah Yeah. and there was and as much as they weren't supposed to be on the field they were smart that they had them on one side of the field so there were one area um and that area kind of had like a little like a box around it so mm-hmm. that you know you were here you're just going to mess up this one little area <laughs> and we're out right you know right, what i mean right. so so it 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 actually was smart it was just it really was a beautiful moment um this, this my one nit about this movie though is that that's the only moment to me outside of maybe the bar case where someone in the concert because the emotions in the, in the church is a, a fantastic right, moment right. in and of itself um, and then there's another moment where some I, I, I don't know the performer that's singing by the bay with the with the um, oh the guitar with the guitar and like the burning yeah. the burning like tr- yeah. thing yeah that, that's a beautiful moment but outside of that uh, of actual concert footage Rufus and maybe the Barquets are the only artists that are really allowed to build something. You know what I mean? Right, like right. I really felt like I'm I'm getting invested in their performance. Like, all right, y'all about to do something. Like, well, so when the Barquets come out, when my man comes out <laughs> with I don't know what color wig afro he had. It was like silver. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say platinum, but we'll also accept <laughs> no platinum silver. is. I think platinum, platinum is, is good. A yeah, 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 platinum. The platinum yeah. afro wig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was Cisco's daddy. Cisco's daddy was. The, I mean, he did look like Cisco. He did, bro. Yeah. But, but but when he came out, the the barcades was they was about the groove. Now I didn't I mean, know the song. Yeah, but I was with the song. I was with it. That would be son of Shaft. <laughs> Feel it. <laughs> I, I was, I was feeling it. Yeah, I was feeling. And, and Rufus, I, he looked broke down when he was telling you to break down. And his funky chicken had had funkier days. Yeah, but I was, I was with him. I think, oh, Rufus, yeah. I think, I think Rufus, you're with because the audience is so with him. You could, right, right. Because you're thinking like. Because me having never seen him, I was right. like, "Oh, it's a comedian coming out." But no, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, it's Rufus." I'm like, "Really? Is is this happening?" Apparently, it was a thing. But apparently, it was a thing in 1972. You couldn't go to a place without Rufus being on your radio. Right. So everybody knew Rufus' song. So I was with that. But then everybody else, even Isaac Hayes, at the end, I don't feel is really. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Shine. I because. It, and I, again, I don't know whether it was the distance between the performers 
and the audience because mm-hmm. they couldn't be on yeah, the field. Right, right. Whether, you know, and a lot of it was being shot during the day. So you, you kind of had, you know, you, right. you didn't have necessarily lights kind of focusing on the right. stage, right. you know. But what makes it work for me is, again, all the incredible camera work. Yeah. That got us mm-hmm. in every single part of the stadium. That's and that true. we're just kind of capturing like these amazing moments of, right. you know, the dudes with doing the crazy handshakes with the hats and like yeah. that little baby doing like oh, yeah. The, yeah. doing the, the fist. fist. Yeah. And, you know, and they're just, and it was just like, how were they all over the place getting that? Now, supposedly, sound was really important to the concert. Producers yeah. and the filmmakers, and they wanted to make sure that people could hear it all over the stadium. But the sound does feel a bit right. disfu- disfu- diffused. Yeah. Yeah. It couldn't help, but yeah. yeah. So I know, I know what you're saying. You know, there you don't have these. Um, and I think they they were only performing a couple songs, the yeah. artists, yeah. you yeah. know, That's and the they were thing. like being moved, you know, off. So they didn't really have a set where they could like kind of build with. Right. You know that Melvin Van Peebles was like. On, was like the the talent runner. Oh, yes. was he really? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I did not. He was know managing that. the talent in the stage. Right. You saw him though. I did see yeah, him. You saw him. I, I, I just thought he was you know just Melvin Van Peebles. He shows up places. There's somebody else in the film that I don't know if you. Uh, well, actually, you know who we need to talk about though is Richard Pryor. Yeah. Yes. So it's this is really. An, I was I was listening to an interview with Mel Stewart, the director, and they had. Kind of, you know, before the concert had been doing all the shooting in the neighborhood and, right. and all those interviews with kind of, you know, people in the in the community. And then they shot the concert right. and then they edited it together. And then Mel Stewart, the director, sort of felt like it was missing something. Mm-hmm. And he specifically said that he wanted he wanted somebody that could kind of put this all in a context. And right. he, in his vision or his idea was somebody like the chorus from Henry Exactly. Fifth, right. Is what right. he was saying. And so he was taken by the folks from Stax to a club in in Watts. And that's where he saw Richard Pryor right. for wow. the first time, who was performing there. And then he's like, this is the guy. This, yeah. this guy is brilliant. And he's going to be able to really um, talk about the range of issues that are going on, you know, in terms of the black experience and kind of be the thread that ties this whole film together. And he does it so wonderfully. I mean, he's amazing. You it's, know, it's amazing. And it's kind of before he even, like, busts right. out, right? Right. Because like, right. this is right. before uh, the album That Nigga Is Crazy. Right. Which is sort of... The his, one that blows him right. up. Right. He blew up as, as Richard Pryor as we know him. Right. Because you... And you can tell it in, some, in, in what he's doing. Because when Richard Pryor comes out, he's, uh, uh, you know, as a lot of comedians at the time, a huge fan of Bill Cosby. Right. And it shows in, in his comedy of that day of, of the stories that he would tell and different voices and things like that. And you could tell in here that he's making that transition. He's still kind of telling the stories, but it's more of him being put in there. It's more of his experience, not instead of trying to be like a little, uh, you know, sugarcoating it and everything like that. And you, and you can feel that transition coming in what he's doing. Um, and as funny as he is in it, he sets it up so perfectly right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, and right in the beginning of this whole the whole film, he sets it up like beautifully. 
there's a there's a soulfulness to Richard Pryor yeah. Oh, yeah. that I feel that is what keeps all the other comedians, all of them, all the black comedians, all the white comedians, even your devoted Eddie Murphy. There's a soulfulness from to Richard Pryor that it that they all lack. They just don't get it. Well, I think it's something like this where where you know, like you said, he's sort of making this transition. So you're like watching this artist find his voice mm-hmm. almost in real time. And I think the great thing about Richard Pryor in this is that he's the perfect voice to capture that sort of sad absurdity that is black life. Yeah. You, you know, and, and, and this sort of, you, you know, it, you know, he's talking about the police He's talking about trying to find a job. He's talking about just, you, you know, how, how black people interact with each other. He talks about slavery. And it's funny and it's sad. And then, you know, again, I always come back to that word, just absurd. Like, if you think about it long enough, it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, I don't think I, I knew the Henry V course parallel. But I, I, I did have this sense that he is the voice mm-hmm. of it. And, you know, even... The other people that are being interviewed, you can almost hear them filtered through Richard Pryor. And it's just, you know, it's, it's an amazing, it's just amazing that they captured it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like one of those moments that you're so happy someone was smart enough to have a camera on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Amen. Well, it's interesting, too, because he's like this conduit. So you hear him and like you're saying you hear him in the guys in the barbershop or in, you know, having, you know, where he's drawing that material mm-hmm, from, right. you yeah. know, and that was the other thing that was really resonating with me in watching this again is those same conversations about the yeah. black community and the cops. Like that, that, you know, is, I would love to know what he would be doing now. And <laughs> how, does you, how does your gun go off accidentally and you shoot somebody six times exactly. in the chest? Oh, my God. And it's just like you're like, like, wait a wow, second. Wow, this is 1972. Yeah. 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 It, it's even still when you're reading about this um, that the Watts riot, you know, if you read it, what kicked it off was that it was a routine drunken driving stop. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how it's written. And everything that I read, it's a routine drunken driving stuff. Right. Well, it obviously wasn't routine mm-hmm. because it begat a riot. Mm-hmm. So something was not routine about this. Well, you know, it's always the straw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know. Yeah. It's always the straw. And and then, you know, he's no Richard Pryor, but then it's the, the, just the, the random bizarreness of Ted Lang. Well, that's what I was, I was, I was leading up to that. I was going to lead up to that. <laughs> but you figured it right, out. Right. Ted Lang talking crazy. It's like, wow, Ted Lang is real militant. He was. He, well, you know. So he, we're, ta- we're talking about, you know. Ted Lang, best known as Isaac from the love boat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he well, he he wasn't slinging drinks yet. No, <laughs> well, Love Boat was a good job, yeah, because he was on That's My Mama for what like a season, mm-hmm. and he looked like Ted Lang in here. Yeah, but boy, he got on Love Boat, and that Love Boat that was good. That was that good ABC money. Oh, cut check. his cut his afro down, straighten up his mustache. You mean I can deposit the check today? <laughs> 
Can I? But there was actually another cool thing about. I mean, I was looking at, and I was like, "Who is that? Yeah, Mm -hmm. who? I know who that is." And so I I had, you know, used the Google. Yes, like figured it out. (laughs) I have to confess. But the other thing I found out in 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 kind of looking at stuff, and you know, just funny how the internet makes these connections for you, but. Um, so one of the cinematographers on Wattstax was Larry Clark. And Larry Clark is one of the filmmakers from the L.A. Rebellion. Oh, okay. And so kind of like, you know, this this period of filmmakers that were – of black filmmakers that were studying at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, sort of like 70s, 80s, uh, kind of come, you know, under this kind of title of the L.A. Rebellion. And, and right. it was like Charles Burnett mm-hmm. and, and others – and so Larry Clark was uh, one of, was a was film student at UCLA, and he was one of the camera operators on uh, Wattstacks. Turns out that him and Ted Lang wrote this film called Passing Through. Have you guys ever oh. seen Passing Through? No. So that gives you know gives Ted a little you know bit of a depth. Okay. You know, and this is really you know. Haile Garima, uh, steamed filmmaker, yeah, and yeah. others really look at Passing Through as probably being one of the best films about jazz, uh, you know, okay. made. So you might want to add that to your list. It's on the list. At we, some we point. got to watch all of them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, is it a, it's, is it a, a fictional film? Yeah, it's a, it's a narrative film. Okay, it's a narrative film. It is a narrative. A narrative. Yeah. It's a narrative. Because because let's let's get to your thing about I, I know I don't black get this. You gotta explain you explain yourself, I just, Vince. You know what it is? At the very beginning, I just needed parameters. Okay. So it's like okay, we're gonna do African American film and we're going to do fictional narrative film because that way we can kind of wrap ourselves around because I think the, 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 the language and the techniques of documentary are different. So that that's an entirely different conversation a lot of times. That's all. I love documentaries. Okay. Well, I th- right. I personally feel that if it um if the documentary was a feature film released, mm-hmm. then it's right. It's up for, you know. And this is actually the way we get it in like like the way we sort of sneak past the rules as we well if somebody brings it to us. Okay. We're yeah, good hosts. Okay. So yeah. it's we're okay. Good host. Right. Yeah, like cuz if you had come with the Wizard of Oz, we would have still reviewed it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a different review. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it would have been five minutes. But, <laughs> but we don't have reviewed it. Right. Um, but, but to your point, though, with it being produced and directed by a, a white gentleman, it still is definitely a black film. Right. One, because they went out of their way to make sure that the the point of view of the subject is... Uh, um, felt behind the scenes as well as in front of the scenes. Right. And it definitely is in front of the scenes. They're not they don't try to I think tellingly while I'm sure they had a bit of a point of view, they don't try to shape a false narrative out of it. They're basically presenting it to you, presenting the conversations for the most part warts and all. Because some of the guys and some of the women come off like, you're like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's that's what Richard Pryor would say. Exactly. So, but, so I I can definitely appreciate that. So, it definitely is a a black film. It it really is. And, um, And it's one that more people should should uh, see. I don't think 
in the history of concert films, this is as wildly um, regarded as, say, the Woodstock films sure. or something. Last like, Walls. Exactly. Right, right, you know right. what I mean? Uh, and I do think that part of that is because, you know, I do find some of the concert footage right. maybe a little lacking. Right. The music uh, itself is not right as prominent as in, you know. In, in those other stuff. movies. Right. Yeah, and I think it was just this... You know the proximity to the to the to the public, and that they were confined to that stage. I, just, I think that's you know. too. I think that is it too. But I also do think it's because this film is of a higher mind. Mm-hmm. This is not about just a good concert. This is a mm-hmm. concert that is about something. So they want to make sure that what is about is represented. Well, and I think actually now that I, in kind of thinking about that. Many concert films today would have had, you know, 10 cameras on the performers. Yeah. Right. Whereas I don't think they had that many cameras Maybe on the performers. Maybe three or four. But they had more cameras in the stands. Right. Right. And right. again, wanting to sort of have the public be very much a part of the film. And mm-hmm. so that's just right. kind of where they made that creative decision. And I think with a lot of other films, the background interviews and all would have been with the performers, which is something that's really unique about. You don't really see a lot of the performers when they're not performing. Right. You know, it's that wonderful shot of the staple singers in the car eating ribs. I know. (laughs) But besides that, you know, you don't see anybody unless they're actually performing. Because, again, I think that the focus is on the community. Yeah. 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 Great movie. Yeah, yeah. And and I will say this, it, you know, for, for a modern viewer and, and for someone who is sort of, you know, we were talking before, like, I've sort of heard about Watt Stacks in conversations with other people. I think the great thing about now is they've done such a great job of putting out the music that, you know, if you really want the music, it's there for you. Oh, yeah. And so that you can enjoy the, the documentary for what it is, this wonderful kind of portrait of, of this community. So you can, you know, it really is the best of both worlds. I suppose. You would. What, I, I, what do you want? I was, I was ready to end it, but now you went there. Some of the music doesn't do anything for me. But the fashion. The fashion. Oh my god. <laughs> I think the music is a nice cross section. I don't think you have to like no, all of it. I don't like a lot of it. You don't like a lot of it. You don't like a lot of it. I don't like a lot of it. I don't like a lot of it. I like the parquets. Rufus, I actually could take her or leave Funky Chicken. Right. The Funky right. Chicken, if the people weren't dancing, I would have been like, yo, shut up. Do you like the staple singers? Of course. What about this? Actually, somebody who I didn't know, but I really loved his performance was um, uh, Rance Allen. He was the guy in like the big, yes. like that. He's a, yes. a big man of the Rance oh, yeah. Allen no. singers. He yeah. was he was fin- fantastic. Yeah, he was. Fa- he's got he's got a voice on him. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. was like, whoa, he's a gospel legend. Is he really? Oh yeah, the Rance Allen singers. I I've, I've never heard of him. Yes, I did. I did enjoy him. And there was a blues singer who reminded me of BB King, but he was. I think it was Albert, Albert King. King. Albert King. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was kind of. He was. You know. He was. He was. He was grooving. You know. Um, but for the most part. But, and then even. I like Isaac Hayes, but I think I like the idea of Isaac Hayes. <laughs> I like the music of Isaac Hayes. I don't think I never ne- really need to see Isaac Hayes perform. You're going to make me say something out loud I don't like to say out loud. I don't like Isaac Hayes live. 
Exactly. I like Isaac Hayes' music. I like his, his music. albums. Exactly. But, but I don't like him as a live performer. I like him in the living room. Right. Coming from the, from the speakers. He's, he's one of the original headphone dudes. He is. Like, you actually have to sit That's and a good listen po- yes. to Isaac Hayes. But, yeah, I don't, I've never, I never thought Isaac Hayes was a great performer. Yeah. So now you're going to get me kicked out of the cool soul music mm. listening club. No, I think we're good. We're good? All I right. think we're good. Okay. I think we're good. So I agree with you about Isaac Hayes, but let's talk about something else. Uh-oh. <laughs> See, I, it looked like Gretchen was about to like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, Isaac I, I, Hayes could sing at my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I agree because he he seemed like he was kind of phoning it in, phoning it in, right, right, and and definitely it did look like he was pulling up late. You know, he, <laughs> he comes in and he's like, I don't know what he was wearing. <laughs> and you know, in his defense, he's a huge. He was probably doing people a solid. He was the grand marshal of the parade that day. Yeah, that is true. So maybe yeah. he was a little tired. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> We'll go with he was tired. You should listen to the soundtrack if you haven't listened to it. I know because the soundtrack is like all yeah, of it. Right. The soundtrack is all of the performances. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a much know. more. I would definitely, I would be interested in hearing more of the Barquets. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Clyde's a Barquet fan. I, I do like the Barquets. They're, they're, they're cool. They have fun. Isaac's band at one point. I know that. So there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So, would you recommend people? Yes. See would you recommend Watt Stacks? Oh, absolutely. Recommend Watt Stacks. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's why I brought it to you guys. I wouldn't bring something I wasn't going to like stand behind. You, no, you'd be you'd be surprised. Sometimes people bring things just to tear them up right to the butcher's block. Oh no 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 no! I <laughs> okay. I, I wanted to bring a film that I um, that I, I wanted to share and okay. stand up for. All right. So yeah, highly recommend Watt Stacks, Mr. Webb. I would too. I would too. Yeah, I, I I would recommend it more for the time capsule that it is. Right, right. But I would definitely recommend. There's a, there's, there's a quick, real quick aside. In the scenes of dancing, there's a quick flash. There's a I still see this woman. She's got a huge afro. She's got a black um, dress that goes over her shoulders and it drops down to the ground. It's black, but then it's got red and a white stripe, kind of like just going like on a curve across her, like that funky seventies look you always see. Right. I don't know. I just thought it was. I said, "Wow, she looks beautiful." That is a beautiful looking woman. There in are her. many people that are beautiful. Yeah, it's a, it's a really yeah. a beautiful. It's a cornucopia of black beauty. Yeah. In this, it's really great. I would absolutely recommend it. But I would recommend it as a documentary, not as a music, as as a musical film. Yeah. Like, don't go into it for the music. Yeah. Go into it for everything else. And pick up the soundtrack. And then that's where you can enjoy the music. And that's where you can enjoy the music. There you go. Exactly. I've been listening to it all day, actually. Well, God bless you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, this has been fun. Gretchen, thank yes. you so much. Thank you. Yes. You've got to come back. Yeah. All right. Yeah, bring, some, bring, some, right. bring some more goodies. Right. Okay. All right. That was maybe a narrative. I'll work on a narrative. Okay. Ooh. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to bring a no, documentary. No, no, no. So, I was um, just about to send Lynn. You, didn't you tell me a couple of months ago you haven't seen Hoop Dreams? I have not seen Hoop Dreams. Oh. Talk about Hoop Dreams. Like, oh. she, she, she don't want to do Hoop Dreams. I mean, you don't have to talk about Hoop Dreams. Okay. So I was just saying. She's like, good, because I'm not. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I like Hoop Dreams. Keep them in your dreams. All right. Uh, Gretchen, if people want to check out Pulling Focus, your mm-hmm. show is available. It's on Mixed Cloud. 
Nice. So you can check it out on uh, Pulling Focus on Mixcloud. And not so good with nurturing my fan base as you guys are, but there is Pulling Focus Radio on Facebook. There you go. Great. Check awesome. it out. Go and like it, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> like the Den Mother. Yes. Oh, yeah. no, we're going to hear the end. <laughs> no, you're not. You know you got to do a late night show yeah. on the radio oh, yeah. station now. Oh, yeah. It's the Den Mother children. <laughs> Coming to tuck you in. Nice. With the sounds of the barcades. <laughs> <laughs> and Rufus Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, like and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Michelle Mission. Join the Facebook group, The Michelle Mission. Email us with all your thoughts and concerns on the Michelle Mission at gmail.com. And if you want to help us out, support Black Podcasts and check out the, the Michelle Mission on our new day on WPPMLP 106.5 FM. People Power Media, Philly Cam Radio on Saturdays as the second half of the best movie block of radio there is in Philly. It starts with Philly on location at 12 and then the Michelle Mission at 1. You do not want to miss it. Come listen and watch us. All right. He's Vince. I'm Len. In parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. Now it's time to bid adieu It's been a pleasure knowing you I'll see you when it's time to meet again